If you haven't heard about rad formation, you're missing out. Six years ago, three medical physicists came together to create the automation solutions they wish they had when they were working long hours in the clinic. Their first offerings, ClearCheck and EasyFluence, changed the way departments approach dose constraints, plan reporting, and 3D planning. Today, RadFormation offers a variety of tools to optimize your practice and help clinics get more done in less time. You won't meet a more passionate team in RadOn. Visit RadFormation.com to learn more. Welcome to the Accelerators Podcast. We are radiation oncologists Matt Spraker, Simil Parikh, and Anna Brown, and we're bringing you news and views with guests from all over the field. The discussions on this show are not medical advice, and they represent our own opinions and not those of our employers. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. What are you angry about today? (laughs) Oh, there's so much to be angry about today. I got to do drop-off and pick-up like a single parent. You know, it's funny. I think, uh, you know, we, we, I think we were going to talk about a lot of things today, but I've been so fascinated by the SDN discussion lately. It's like my favorite place to have discussions with other radiation oncologists at the moment by far. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. My, uh, my UPMC text thread was like, man, Samir's posting more than you do on SDN. He is. He's posting a ton. Yeah. Um, The only reason I brought it up is you were, we were, you know, they're talking about employment, you know, and this whole like treating your people like they're adults and letting you leave early if there's no work or things like that. You know, it's kind of, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I'm in a situation, thankfully, where I get treated like a grown up, but I've, I've had that in the past um, at, at Banner, where on my admin day, I was expected to come in for an hour or two to show my face, like to put on clothes, dress up show up there's nothing on the schedule there's a doctor on the premises and i I just never understood that and i think i've complained about this before but again it's these types of things are like insidious and they they make you really resent um yeah working hard because there's times you're going to work past your time and there's times you're going to be putting in notes on your weekends and contouring on the weekends and stuff and nobody's accounting for that and nobody says oh you did four hours of work this weekend you can go home four hours early next week and um right. yeah so i i think the happy physicians are treated like adults um and unfortunately it sounds like from what people say that they're still required to stay even if their work's done and i just i find that bizarre it's yeah just, no my, mine is actually not like that um and when i was interviewing with this job the leadership was very clear that they feel strongly about treating people like adults right and they want they feel like that fosters good culture and you're right. And then it, I don't know, for me, at least it's like, I'm really enthusiastic about staying late or driving other sites to cover or whatever. And then if a day comes up where um, there's just not a lot happening and they're done treating and, you know, it feels like you kind of get it back where you can then do what you want to do as opposed to, you know, having to be pretty one-sided. So Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, I think, I think more places are shifting to that model, but of course, yeah. you know, there's, there's going to be some lagging uh, with that. But yeah, I mean, the, the discussion's been good. I mean, there's been a lot on the Rocker, or I don't know how you want to say that acronym. I think Rocker is probably the yeah. right word. Like the phone, like the Moto, <laughs> the Moto Rocker. I don't know if anyone, do you remember that at all? I saw one reference to that on SDN and nowhere else. I I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I didn't even yeah. see 
notice the reference, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, I don't know, do we have, do, you had some topics you wanted to talk about, right? For today? Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I think it's kind of broad, but just overall, I, I don't know. I feel like, uh, I feel like we're at like kind of a good moment right now. I feel like there's been a lot of uh, valleys and potential peaks, but I think we're in a good moment right now. As far as, you know, there's been a lot of rancor about the rocker. I, I think we can talk about the, neg- I think we've talked about the negatives around another show. We've talked about negatives, but the positives are um are are there and we should value those because uh going towards case rates reducing um bill you know coding requirements all these types of things are going to make our lives a little bit better uh there's going to be a financial hit of course but uh billing does need to be simplified the fact that jason and you guys are making episodes upon episodes of cpt codes and billing information there's revenue cycle there is you know oncospark and all these different companies doing billing there's billing apps on aria from radformation um does that count as advertisement <laughs> well, we'll toss it in for free right okay yeah we'll give that we'll get one there at radformation uh, for free yeah, it's you know it's it's funny so i recorded that episode i actually did want to like kind of expand on this a little bit because i got a lot of feedback about that very positive feedback lots of people were like you know I feel the same way. Thanks for putting that out there. Um, I, I had very little, I've had no engagement whatsoever from anyone like representing Astro. Um, and and we'll talk, I guess, about Samir in a second. But I, I, um, I, you know, my concern, I think, is like what you said, there actually is a lot of good in the rocker model. Um, my worry is that the the mechanism for like engaging in discussion and giving feedback is like, seems sort of broken, right? And so, my like even when i talk to people that are negative about rocker like no one seems to want to have nuance and talk about the details um and it's just like it's all bad or it's all good and and i think that that's not true and it's mostly good i think we've talked about how it's mostly yeah. good I, my group i think will do fine with it i'm not really worried about my personal situation with it um for me it's more about the direction things are headed and and the transparency and like it just seems I, like for example, like the, I'm pretty against this inclusion of accreditation as being linked to pay. I'm not against the concept of linking quality to pay, but the way it's implemented, I don't like. And I haven't heard any indication that it's going to be changed or that anyone's even talking about it. I think it's just kind of in there. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up if I uh, at the town hall if I can get a chance to speak and if they allow non-members to be on the town hall. I do want to ask about the those types of things. Um, the accreditation is one. And then also like uh, coding requirements, because if we have to do all the same coding and uh, everything and you're going to get docked if you miss a weekly, then that just sounds like fee for service to me. And so I think yeah. we need to be we need to get some information on it because I'm I'm not going to go all in or support it unless those two things are addressed in a meaningful way. I'm not against pay for quality. I just don't think ACR or apex or acros uh, quality uh programs have anything to do with radiation quality and they're all about paperwork and anyone who's done a survey on the survey end or on the clinic end knows that this is a paperwork um uh, accreditation not a quality not a radiation treatment quality um accreditation so it doesn't mean anything except you, you have your papers in order i'm going to keep saying that it's just a paperwork thing yeah um we we know this everybody knows this it doesn't make your center 
any less good if you don't have accreditation. And what's crazy, I think that people, it's funny because you're totally right. And when I talk to people about these programs, especially people who have been um, surveyors, like, I don't know if people, I guess just to, so people are aware, these programs are organized by the different societies. As we've mentioned, there's three of them, but the the, the actual act of accrediting a center is typically done by volunteers. It's a doctor that volunteers for the society and then goes out to the center and reviews records or things like that, talks to people. Um, but, and they all say the same thing, like they've seen some bad stuff, right? Oh, there's bad shit out there. This, you know, my my thing though is that like I agree it's there. This is along the lines of the same thing as the board discussion. I don't think that these programs are set up to make those bad things go away, right? So like you can be on your best behavior and get accredited or have your notes be really good, but like it's not going to stop you from giving twenty gray times three to a metastinal lymph node with an SBRT plan, which we would all, which most at this point would agree is unsafe, right? So yeah. it's 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 challenging because I think that. People want it to be something that we do need, but it's not, that's not what it is today. Yeah. And I, I think they should go away from calling these quality programs. I mean, it, it, I've done it. I've, I've surveyed for the ACR. Um, we're, we, we are not checking anything of your work other than if you've written everything down. If you gave 60 gray and 60 fractions BID to the breast after a lumpectomy, but all your paperwork's in, that will pass if you treat a breast appropriately, but you forget the KPS and you forget to do stage grouping instead of TNM grouping, um, you'll get dinged. And I think that's a big problem uh, as far as calling this a quality program. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think and, that, and it does, it's true that it forces peer review, for example, which I do think helps quality, but it's like, why can't the system be? We recognize that peer review is challenging for many clinics. We've talked about this when you're a solo, you're a solo doctor. It's hard for you to peer review. I get to just jump on my meeting here in a couple hours with my six partners and peer review yeah. really easily every week. So like, why can't we give an infrastructure for that and tie that to quality as opposed to just like saying, Hey, you know, do this big program. And then by the way, pay us a bunch of money. Uh, you know, it, yeah. The, the last part about it that I think is important to just emphasize, because this seems to be underemphasized is like join Lou, you you brought this up a lot at the RAPM as well, time, like when we were talking about it, is that just the requirements of the effort on the practice to participate, right, is is really high. And that was a big complaint about RAPM. And it almost feels like that, that, um, that complaint or that feedback was ignored in this recent model. And that it just makes me a little disheartened because like, I think the story of medicine for physicians is just increasing paperwork, increasing load, increasing work, you know, less support. And this is just layering on to that. It almost feels like it's just ignoring, again, the concerns of the physician when I feel like it's supposed to be an organization that is out there lobbying for physicians, right? So I got it. I got an idea. If you yeah. sign up for ACR accreditation and you pass, you get included in a peer review pool. Yeah. Solo docs can have a pod of like five or six of them and they can set their hours of when they want to do peer review together. They could be anywhere in the country and that can function as your peer review. Astro, don't steal that idea. That's my idea. <laughs> you know, I would even sign up for that to volunteer, honestly. Yeah. I, I do that kind of informally for sarcoma cases for a lot of people around the country and I enjoy it. I like hearing about cases. I like giving feedback, talking, discussing the cases. So I, I you know, I mean, 
people should be paid for that probably, but I, I actually would probably volunteer for that kind of a program. Yeah. Uh, we, we probably wouldn't have you, but it's nice that you'd volunteer. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that, so, uh, getting back to the positives, I don't know. I just feel, um, I think, well, I'll start by saying the president of Astro is a largely ceremonial position. However, Largely ceremonial positions have a role in our society and especially in our medical society because it drives the conversation. Even though if even though Samir can't unilaterally contract to 100 positions a year, he can make it a focal point of what he talks about. Even you know if he if he can't get rid of you know prior off, he can help us frame that discussion and talk about how we want to work with it. Um, so I think it it changes the tenor of the conversation. It changes who's involved um because we we know that uh the way Samir's interacted with so many people people that many consider like outside of the mainstream or outside of academic medicine or outside of a uh, uh, polite company even you know like he he's he's out there he's reaching out he's spending a lot of time and energy listening he he is not a a person that's going to just tell you what you want or just agree with you to agree with you like me and him debate fiercely about things and we don't agree on a lot of big things but he listens to me and i know every decision our society makes is not going to be something i support but at least give me the respect and the politeness to go through it with me um yeah rather than foisting it upon me without any sort of chance to interact or engage i was really happy to see him win honestly because um he seemed to take a very intentional approach of engaging people. That's actually something that's been kind of talked about as a priority for Astro, like for a while. And I I feel like it's not really being met. Um, And so it was nice to see that. And then it was nice to see that like it paid off, especially, I mean, I think you considered him an underdog in the election, right? Everyone was kind of talking like he wasn't going to win. So it was nice to, to kind of see that. I think I was excited. Yeah. I kind of think he, he talked up the underdog thing a bit. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I have my group of several friends and I, I think like all were very supportive of him. No, very few were like, who is this guy? Or I'd never heard of him or anything. Um, you know, I had coffee with a local competitor and who was his attending and, you know, he was happy he was running too. And it was just, it was, um, I think, I think maybe an underdog, but maybe not like both Nan and him were wonderful people yeah. and wonderful doctors. And they just have different approaches. And um, in this moment, Samir's approach just is what people wanted. Um, yeah. Hands out. Hands out. Um, that's hands a really out. good way to put it, actually. Yeah, because that's a great phrase. That's a way, great way to phrase it, I think. Yeah. So I think that's good. I think we're going to get listened to. Again, we're not going to get everything we want. I think, like, you know, storming the gates if, if he makes a decision uh, that we disagree with, it's not, you know, mature or... Um, fair really like we we have to understand that like he is part of a system that we have a lot of disagreements a structure that we have a lot of disagreements with and you can't just flip and turn into what we want immediately you know it's 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 more getting to a happy medium i think yeah for me honestly what i'll be watching very closely is when it comes time to have these challenging discussions like you know, we like to bring up, everyone likes to bring up the quote oversupply and the match issues as, you know, and it's frustrating, but in a standalone issue, it actually is something to talk about, especially with the workforce results and especially with Rocker. 
right? And I think there's been a lot of, at least on SDN, there's been a lot of commentary about what that might mean for employed physicians and what that might look like. And so there is going to have to be a conversation to be had. And I don't envy him. It's going to be challenging, I think, because there are definitely people inside Astro that benefit from that. And so it's going to be hard to kind of, you know, go up against those people, but I'll just be watching. And it may not be the result we want, like you said, but if it's like a more open discussion that leads to a result that I might not agree with, I'm totally happy with that. And and if that's how this society is going to become, I would definitely rejoin because for me, it's more about transparency than like what the result is, right? I mean, you want the majority of radiation oncologists to be happy and if whatever that is, then then that's that's how it works. And that's kind of like our government, right? I mean, it's yeah. You know, yeah. So I, you know, I just I just ran some numbers for fun, um, looking at an average an average average high volume clinic, um, seeing like 350 consults a year, and if if it's a good mix of everything, like most generalists are, this is in the rocker model. You yeah, not for the finances, uh, not for the finances, because I think the finances come out fine, actually, maybe a little bit higher than fee for service. But here here's an issue. So when you have 350 consults a year and if you go across the line, across the board, it just depends on your proportion of what you see, but everything's fractions are going down except for gyne and head and neck. Pretty much everything else has gone down. Um, if you go with what's currently most popular, and I'm going with popular based on recent work and prior auth, I've told a few people this, I'm, I'm seeing what people are doing out in the world. Uh, if we did a change to the lowest fractionation uh, for most things that's considered safe and non-experimental, we're talking probably about a something like a 50% reduction in fractions, um, which translates to about a 50% reduction in uh, um, on treatment visits. So for, for example, like if you have, like you're talking like breasts, you're using 25 or 30 fractions down to 15. Or using 20 down to five. So average okay. it all out. Yeah. So okay. basically everything's dropping. Um, palliations, especially dropping palliation. Everyone's going to fall in love with single fraction again. Um, and yeah. I've been a big champion of it. Uh, it just, it's very hard to convince American physicians that it, that it's work, that it works or it's useful or whatever. So if you look at it, we're talking about close to about 50% fraction reduction across the board means 50% less weekly visits. Now, if we're not billing out weeklies and you got a prostate patient getting five weeks of treatment, 28 fractions. Um, which six or whatever, six weekly, nothing happens in week one or two, you know, maybe week three, they get a little bit of urinary irritation or some loose stools. But if you have a nurse navigator or a nurse practitioner or just an RN in your office, they may see the patient and then teams you and say, Mr. So-and-so has having some diarrhea. Is it okay if we call in some Imodium? And you'll say, yes. Uh, maybe you note that somewhere, maybe it goes into the journal notes in ARIA. Um, maybe you're actually putting in an epic note, but it's not going to be required. It's not a billing document anymore. It's just yeah. more of a note. Um, now add that to physician presence. Now, all of a sudden there's half as many on treatment visits that have to be done. Plus you don't have to be on site at hospitals in 2020. I mean, based on the 2020 rules. So from an administrator point of view, there's about half the visits that have to be done that are billing visits. Um, and you don't have to have someone on site. So if let's say you were doing 25 on beam and now that's down to 12 or 13 on beam could very easily have a PA and a 0.6 doc running that clinic much cheaper 
uh, efficiently and safely um, uh, with yeah. much lower cost to the hospital. So that that's kind of maybe that's not the rockers issue or maybe that's not Astro's issue. Like if you make things better, there's going to be loss, like building uh, productive farm equipment meant a lot of people lost their jobs, but it was good for food production and, and that's okay. Like that there's going to be um, casualties of technology improvements and regular regulatory change, but we are a society that's supposed to be protecting ourselves too. So this isn't Astro may, you know, put that at its forefront, but, we are paying members of the society and uh, digging our own grave. A lot of us may not want to be uh, involved in that. Well, did you, did you listen to uh, like Becca's podcast yet? Did you get to do that this morning? No, I didn't. Cause I, but yeah, but I had to drive both ways today and it was just pain and the kids want to listen to Hollaback Girl like all the time constantly no and that hit that one specifically i would tell you is like one of my favorites of his but it is really? dense and i like i have to go back and do it again because yeah you you'll be distracted for 30 seconds and you'll miss a big part and then you have to kind of so it was kind of tough he also has like attachments there's like this long handout from cms and it's okay. you know, it's probably worth reading through so okay. i would encourage everyone to check it out for sure it was a really yeah. good um, but not an easy one to like drive to if that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm going to listen to that uh, hopefully on the way home today. Um, so that that's kind of a concern. I think like we we need to talk this through at the town hall um, and see what what they think about this and what what their answers are. It, it, it's got to be better than. Uh, let's circle back or like, these are questions that have been asked online. These are questions that people have emailed Astro about. And so if they're not discussed in their. Um, being purposely obtuse um, or opaque. I don't know. One of those words. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, that's kind of, you know, even though this is the case, I'm still, again, I'm, I'm feeling some optimism. I think I feel felt that for a few months. Um, well, so, so I am too. I, I definitely am. I, I brought up Becca's episode because he talks about in that, how at least from CMS perspective, at least at that point in time. So this was like, 2015, it seemed like yeah. when these letters were flying, um, they viewed Astro as a physician's organization, right? That they, they, they viewed them as an organization that lobbies for physicians. And there was this kind of discussion about how there's a hole where like who's lobbying for the hospitals, right? Who's lobbying for the departments that are taking on all these costs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Fine. But, and, and if you look at the strategic plan as well for Astro, so I'll, I'll link this, but it, basically they have posted a mission and a strategic plan that was approved in June of 2022 that has like goals for the, for the society. The very top goal is to cultivate fuller engagement with radiation oncology community. And it talks about assessing the needs of diverse radiation oncologists and things like that. And so, you know, you I am wondering what's going to happen in the future. I don't know that any of us can predict, but what you've just talked about with decreasing work per radiation oncologist, r- changing supervision requirements, and then now leading to potentially less requirement for bodies, right. Yeah. Or for, for working people, then like, in what way are we advocating for radiation oncologists in that narrow sense, right? And so what I'd really like to see is if you were to bring this up at the town hall is to have people kind of talk about it. And I know there's like this controversy about what they can and can't say in terms of the match, but there are other aspects of that topic. For example, you know, salary data, there's like all kinds of things that we could talk about that support the working radiation oncologist in like lobbying for their own job. 
And I, I just like to see more out of Astro there, I think. And so I'd be curious to hear if you were able to raise those points at the town hall, how they might respond. Yeah. I mean, it might be something to talk to, talk to them about or talk to Samir about is like potentially like, how do you, how would you put it? Like an independent committee or a ombudsman type of person that is looking out for the physicians specifically, like, Mm -hmm. or a community physician specifically or employed physician specifically that can just represent their viewpoint in a vacuum of the rest of the academic physicians and the, you know, because I think we, we, we have a very, we make up a bulk of the doctors, but we have very different needs than what the academic community and Astro has been promoting. We, we ask for different things, you know, like, and maybe that needs you mean, to be you mean community physicians. Is that Yeah. Like community employed physicians, I think, because it's, it's just a, as much as I enjoy employment, I'm still at the, at the whims of my employer. Like I need to satisfy my liege because if I don't, they can very easily replace me with somebody who's younger and cheaper. Um, and efficacy or volume may not be that big of a concern in the large scale for the hospital. If they make a little bit less money with somebody who's more compliant and just does what they need, maybe, maybe that benefits them. So I think the, 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 the employed physician that's not part of a large group um, has a very distinct uh, need from Astro and different asks. It might be something we, we figure out how to codify or maybe group us together to kind of talk about these things. Yeah. They have a, we're both going to go to the meeting, right? They have an early career committee now, Mm -hmm. which I was excited to see Yeah, uh, because you're totally right. I mean, I would say that when I, you know, I used to be very, very involved and I would say that it never really felt like there were specific efforts to support, you know, like, like you said, employed community physicians, but specifically like early career. And there's not really a true definition of that, but like, you know, it's, it's like, we keep talking about, there's like lots of grads coming out every year and yeah. like unclear, you know, this, uh, the market's unclear. And so like, what support is there? Um, so the substrate is there. And so we'll, maybe we'll see some action and hopefully that, you know, is positive for the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have any studies that were interesting this week or the last few weeks that you, that came up? I, cause I kind of had one that caught my eye. Um, it was a really practical study about sparing the pharyngeal constrictors. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you know, like it was such a practical study and it was a very, it was something we've all been talking about and how to constrain them and how to contour them. And they did it. It's a very systematic paper. And um, when I was with an Anderson affiliate, we didn't, we didn't do constrictors. We, we did this like airway plus margin, basically like a mm-hmm. reflection of it. And, um, but it wasn't the same way. And this is, you know, all the constrictor muscles were contoured they were constrained to a pre-specified dose. And then they did a, like a perspective trial in it, which is really cool because, um, they didn't, it wasn't like cherry pick, cherry picking endpoints or using like total toxicity burden. It was a very targeted thing. Like, is there going to be feeding tubes? Are these people going to swallow? And, and there was clearly a benefit, um, and so I, I would just want to say, like, instead of me nitpicking about the research that's going on for once, I, I like this one a lot. I lo- I wish more people would do studies like this. I don't so know. Are you, you going to implement it? Uh, yeah. I mean, like at UPMC, when I was a resident, we were doing it back in 2006. My co-resident, uh, he's going to hate it if I name drop him. I'm just going to call him abs. 
uh, Abs did a project on it retrospective, and he found that there was, you know, there was a benefit to constrain him, but it was not a prospective trial. And at the same time, I think Eisbrook at Michigan was doing something similar with constrictors. I think all around that same time, like somewhere between like 2007, 2011, a bunch of these papers came out. Um, and so certain institutions have been constraining them for quite a while now. I think in Michigan, in the state, I think a lot of people uh, internalize the U of M data. Um, and so I think it's relatively common here too. How about you? Have you been I using I bet you were a fun person to have around the resident room. <laughs> <laughs> we had a really good time. We had a, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, it's funny when you're in residency, you, you, you don't realize how much fun you're having. <laughs> in fact, I was no. angry a lot, but I remember some of the best times of my life. I think I can look. It's back. actually funny. I was just, I just met up with a co-resident, a former co-resident uh, who happens to be in the state we had, uh, we met up for some cider on Friday and um, we were talking about the exact same thing. Like I felt like I left there sort of angry because I was ready to not be a resident anymore. Yeah. Like I was like, like I'll just, you know, I wanted to do like more sarcoma when I was leaving and I was instead like seeing prostate follow-ups. Like it was, you know, I was kind of kind of frustrated about that. But like looking back, it was actually like, I love the people. It was super fun. It's like one of these things that is genuinely like, you know, lots of camaraderie. And I think residency is a fun time for sure. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I talk daily to a group with my program director, co-resident, mm-hmm. junior resident, and somebody who rotated through the department who's become a good friend. And that's like, I talk to these guys daily. Like we met in 2006 or whatever, 2000, you know, around that time when we started residency and we're still maintaining friendships um it's awesome so, yeah yeah so i like that so i think that's i i hope the red journal and you know other other publications that we have really like value these types of things because this changes things not for just academic doctors or community doctors but for everyone it, it gives us the new tools in our toolbox and that's what i want is more tools in my toolbox to be better a better doc and have better outcomes for my patients. And these types of things do that. And so, you know, yeah, no, we haven't implemented yet. I think, you know, that my, I've had sort of a, like I started this new job and then there was some organizational restructuring. We never got to like kind of build the way that we wanted to. And now it's starting again. Um, And so what I, what I've done is I've basically built templates or treatment pathways internally based on trials, right? It's sort of like an easy baseline if you just like build your template based off of a trial protocol. Oh yeah. You're like in you're in good good space. And but like that, the pharyngeal thing, also the esophageal sparing for thoracic, like I really want to like get those going. And and I think what's going to be it's easy to like myself, my new clinic is myself and and one partner and we both agree like almost, you know, on everything on how we treat. And so that's easy. What'll be really fun is trying to get that across the network and have everyone doing it. Um, I'm sure we'll run into an opinionated person at some point, but these like these small studies, like it's, you know, there's a low, it it was a well-run study of the pharyngeal one. It, It makes a lot of sense. It's easy to implement. And like you said, it's one of these really practical things that like anyone can do. You don't need special equipment. It's just a small change to the way you're already doing your work and you can help people that way. Yeah, yeah, and you bring up the the contralateral esophagus. Also, excellent. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a good, clever um, thing to do. That like, and you know, after the fact, it's easy to say, oh, I could have thought of that, or I, I've been sort of doing something like that. No, but they 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 defined what they're doing. They made the structure and they showed a benefit. And it's not just like 
just lowering the dose, but it's specifically lowering a dose to a portion of the organ and it makes a difference. And um, I think like with these contouring softwares and different applications of AI, we're going to be able to do so much stuff like this and it'll be like individualized to the patient, which is kind of cool. Um, You know, I think I'm sure uh, what's the company, um, David Lindsay's company that's, uh, Ancora, Ancora, Ancora medical. Yeah. Yeah. David Lindsay. Yeah. You know, I saw him in Acro. Sorry. You should finish your sentence before. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I think these types of, we're learning all these types of things. And then, uh, Ancora, you know, David Lindsay's product is able to look at these things. Um, there might be other products. I'm just using his because they, they, they've been doing different versions of that, uh, trying to identify patient and clinical factors that would lead to worse outcomes. Um, and thus you can monitor them more closely. I think one was for head and neck and who would require hospitalizations and they were able to predict that. So, I mean, the same, the same software can be utilized for dosimetry and for constraints and looking at outcomes. And so we're going to be able to come up with a lot of great, um, practical resources for treatment planning as well. And I think that's, that's some low hanging fruit to help our patients. Um, Every grade three that we can turn into a grade two is a big deal. Yeah. So let me ask you, so like, just to tie it back to what you brought up at the beginning, like, let's just say we're talking about 2040, right? You're, you're 102, (laughs) you're you're working, you're, you're still working because you know, you have, you have kids, right? You got lots of expenses, put them through college, all that kind of stuff. Um, so will you, how will you feel if like your job, like, so from what you have now say that all of a sudden you're now the director of radiation oncology, you're monitoring three centers, you maybe only go to each one of them once a week. Um, a lot of your job, uh, you know, maybe you work from home, but you're doing lots of contouring, tweaking structures, like kind of doing decision-making about whether you want to spare esophagus or pharynx, that kind of a thing. And then monitoring like, you know, the whiteboard of your department or your, your network, right. right? Is that like, I mean, is that what you think what radiation oncology is going to look like in, in 2040? Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think broader, I would say broader, that's what most uh, knowledge and service shops are going to look like for high functioning professionals. As you move higher and higher up, you'll be doing very little of the skilled work. Like we're going to be able to have people do that for us basically, or the computer do that for us. And we're going to have to navigate the complexities of managing all these patients from a broader level. Um, You know, like when we're doing this, like when you think of like quality metrics and things like that, it's going to be like what percentage of your 150 patients on beam that one person has have a grade three toxicity or whatever. And that's going to be ways to uh, improve population-based health kind of within your own, within your own like fiefdom or whatever, because you're right that it's got to go in that direction. There's, I don't see, I don't see one person manning one clinic or womaning one clinic um, in the future. It doesn't make sense to not take advantage of technology, rural centers. I mean, we can't get people to, to hire for Mequon, Wisconsin, or, you know, whatever these places are. And this is, this is the future. We just have to like harness it now. Like if we weren't so silly about supervision, we could have like got the resources in place already. By now we would be like ready for that kind of a change. Yeah. 
we, yeah. we, my example is probably an extreme. I mean, I don't know. I hope that the average job is not managing 150 patients remotely. That's, I mean, and I would say that even if that's true, it's going to hurt a little bit to me because I really do enjoy like the face-to-face part. But I think you are right that um, we uh, probably every radiation oncologist enjoys it. I think patients appreciate it. But the fact is, is that, you know, we still, in my opinion, at least we still medicine is a business in the United States. It's business first. People yeah. don't like to admit it, but I think it is. And I, I, I think that there's going to be probably will be at a middle ground, you know, again, extreme example, 150 patients, maybe not, that won't be the common thing. But I think you're right that it's going to be um, this one-to-one thing where you're one clinic, you get to walk around, hang out with your staff, that kind of stuff. Probably not going to be common. Yeah. yeah, it just, it these things have to change. It's just, that's part of part of time and progress. But like, you don't think, if I, if I ask my like kid, my four-year-old, what they think a physician does, I think her answers would be, she would answer what the nurse does she probably thinks that I do what the nurse does. The idea of like, she, she asks, oh, what'd you do at work today? You know, I help people. I took care of sick people. She may think I'm tending to them, but I'm mostly sitting in front of a screen. And you take that to the next level. So we're not even in the same building, but we're still looking at a screen and we're monitoring all this stuff. And it's just, it's just different. I, it's going to be a lot more like analytic type of behavior and like that, that like quantitative analytic type of thinking, like using data science and data visualization to track all this stuff. And then somebody on the ground, maybe a nurse practitioner, or maybe it'll even be a lower education than that. It might be somebody with a bachelor's degree who truly wants to, you know, the wants to help people or wants to take care of people. Um, and they'll be doing it in the physical sense and we'll be doing it cognitively. And that would be sad because then I wouldn't choose medicine as a career. I would probably be that person, the lower level person. Um, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, there is this like, there's the dream of what medicine is supposed to be when you kind of go into it. And then there's the reality of what it is when you get there. I think, yeah, have you read that? You probably have the Cheesecake Factory article from yeah. many years ago about, it's about ICU medicine. Yeah. Um, and it just, again, it like kind of uh, elevates the idea that like, you know, we should be running this stuff like Cheesecake Factory, these giant places that serve yeah. tons of customers. Everyone's happy. But I don't know. The food's, mediocre and I don't know, I don't like going there. I, I think it, 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 again, just to tie it back, it's like, it, the, I'm okay with that future. I think, I just think we got to be really careful and advocating for physicians and making sure that our teams are healthy as we head towards that future. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the time it takes to hear this ad, you could have OARs and CTVs automatically generated and ready to review. If you've been hearing good things about AI contouring, it's not just hype. Here's even better news. AutoContour by RadFormation just released a huge batch of new structure models. There are now 200 structures available, from lymph nodes and bowel loops to MR models that make contouring faster and easier. A physician on Twitter hailed these contours as game-changing. Check out AutoContour for yourself at RadFormation.com. What else were we going to talk about? What was on your list? I was I had protons on my list always. Okay, let's get let's get Mark Stewart. Mark Story's blog, man. It's like I thought it's it's so awesome. I really like it. Yeah, uh, big plug from us for that. Both of us love Mark. We want to work with Mark. He is doing the most exciting writing in Red Onk right now, out of anyone out there. Better than anything you're going to see in a journal. Uh, better than any textbook. This is like current, up to date. 
the guy must be spending hours at night writing. I mean, it's thoroughly researched, it's referenced. Um, so the most, the newest article, yeah, uh, is about the need for randomized control trials for protons, which is funny in 2023 because somewhere in the late 90s, early 2000s, we thought we already had this discussion. And so, you know, we all know what proton therapy is. Um, Somewhere in the early 2000s when uh, MD Anderson was considering or had started building their facility, uh, the chairman at the time, Dr. Cox, wrote an article essentially saying that we know it's better. This is silly to force people to do randomized controlled trials. Um, Some people agreed and many people did not. There was some rebuttal articles, uh, but it seemed kind of almost like wink wink like i don't even know if the people rebutting it really felt you know differently because all these people built these machines without randomized control trials yeah and one thing real quick is you're we, we should tell people so this is his blog i just want to put it out right because you know he i don't know if you noticed but he never links the blog when he tweets out what he wrote which i like i really want him to do that because maybe more people go but it's protons101.substack.com is, is oh. his, his blog um and uh and you i think you undersold this a little bit these aren't just people the people that wrote these articles one of them is herman suit right and so it's like that you know that guy's done a tremendous amount for radiation oncology i mean maybe the most famous radiation oncologist ever potentially um and then and then cox is the other one who you said you know was the chairman at the time of md anderson big center um and and these are people that basically came out right and just said outright we don't need randomized trials for proton therapy yeah and there are reasons there i mean i don't know if you agree with their reasons or how you feel about that but it it was a little surprising to me well looking i mean i didn't i wanted to read the the old one again but the last time i read it i remember thinking like with the knowledge they had at that time i think what cox was saying made some sort of sense yeah but like the uncertainty of the physics of it all and the treatment planning. I think we learned that like the, you guys, I don't know it, but from what I'm saying, you like, you see this nasty skin reaction from breast and they're, you know, figuring out because there, there was uncertain un, uncertainty at the end of the dose range. I don't know it exactly, but people tell me with protons, you're having all these unexpected toxicities and it doesn't mean protons are bad. It means we still got to learn how to use them properly. Like I, I'm yeah. not, anti-proton at all i i think um you know i've wrote and written stuff in the past and student doctor like if you pull those old ones out uh simul 2.0 was very very supportive of protons in fact like i i would say i wanted to work for a proton center i would want it to have a, be at a facility that has it was that before you you're two you're a 3.0 now is that i'd say 4.0 now yeah okay okay yeah. so 2.0 like you were you were pro you were for protons back back in the day yeah, I was because like looking at the physics and what I learned, we didn't have it at UPMC, but I just felt like, man, this is the way, this is the future. These are going to get cheaper and less laborious. And this is what I would want as a patient. I think I, I've written stuff like that, that, that reflects those wordings. Uh, but that's because I also didn't know anything. I was a resident and I never had experience with protons. These guys were saying at the time, like when Maryland opened it up, when my private practice, um, I was in private practice in Maryland, Maryland opened up and Dr. Regine who's a good guy. Um, and actually he, he was, he opened the center in a really cool way, or at least I thought at the time he, he treated it as a state utility and all of us could sign up 
and send patients there. And if we went to the site, we could do our OTVs and collect our professional fees. Um, I thought it was a good way to do it. And he said, you know, we're not going to be treating prostate and breast. And then, you know, a year later or whatever it opens and they're treating prostate and breast and a whole lot of it. Um, why, you know, because you got to pay for these centers, like they're expensive. They're really, really expensive They're You know, more than me. I mean, you can maybe tell us the different costs and why, why it's more expensive. Cause I, I don't completely know that never working for one, but yeah. something about well, it. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, well, I, no, I actually had, and I had a few thoughts to kind of piggyback on what you said about Mark's article. What I really loved about it is, in my opinion, it was the best framing of the problem because I think we've sort of lost the lost the thread a little bit. I think that um, I probably the best way to frame my like we can call it anger. I've been I've been doing lots of mean tweets about proton therapy, but it's really about the policy, right? It's it doesn't have to do with the modality itself. I've used it. I used to work for a place that has a proton center, yeah. and it's it's not um, the modality itself. And when I read Mark's article that again brought up these two editorials from 2008, I, I tried to like put myself in the shoes of you know I could never do it, but try to put myself in the shoes of like Herman Sue, for example. Yeah. And this is a time where people had lots of toxicity from photon radiation, right? I mean, it wasn't like today. I like to tell my gynoc, I feel like I'm cheating because I get to use IMRT for everyone and people do so well, you know, in the gyn world these days. But but either way, the point is is like there you saw this toxicity and then now you have this new technology that on paper on computer is very promising, right? The plans look amazing on the computer. And I think that that's, you know, that I tried to put myself, put myself in their shoes. I I do have to wonder if I ever could get to a place where I would say something like randomized trials are not needed. And I would honestly say, I hope not. I have great respect for all of the people that wrote that. But to me, that reflects a place where you're kind of like, in too deep, right? Like it's like, I think as a physician, we need randomized trials to test our questions. Maybe they're not always appropriate. Maybe randomized trials overkill for certain questions, but in this case, I I don't agree. So I think Mark said that at the end there, but in terms of the cost, and that's really what it comes down to is he was really the first one to put this down on paper that I've seen in a while that it's not just the capital cost. People kind of know these are expensive to build. They actually are getting cheaper. And you'll hear that a lot from people that are like on the pro like build more centers side, you know, they even have a model now where you can put it in an existing Linac vault as a chair, pretty innovative. But, but, but the point is, is that that part will come down, but it's really the workload. I mean, it's like, just to give you an idea, it's like when I would have a patient, I would see them, I'd have to get their consult note done very quickly because they'd have to start an authorization right away. We had a team of people dedicated to writing authorization letters, which was nice for me. They wrote beautiful letters, way better than I could ever do. And figures, all kinds of stuff. I love them. So it was a joy to sign off on those. Um, but they do that. And then just the treatment itself, there's a, you know, the, we had three therapists and not two, that might not be true at every vault, but we had three and not two. Yeah. And then physics workload. Um, this is outside of my expertise, but just my impression was the amount of physics hours, like, like man or woman hours that were needed to get a plan through to the end was like, was a huge amount. And this was like, these were things like we'd have to take time out to look at robustus analysis. So this is like if you're doing a lung plan, the patient moves over three millimeters, your plan may just maybe come destroyed because of the air tissue interfaces. Mm-hmm. We had to do analyses of 4D. We would do weekly QA scans to look at, make sure there was no anatomy changing. And this is all stuff that would be happening behind the scenes in a well-supported proton center 
because the physician can't do all that stuff themselves. And so I wouldn't say it was like a ton of extra work for me, but it's easy to see why, um, you know, like I, like Todd kind of showed me how to look it up. It's easy to see why the delivery fee in Medicare for protons is two or three times photons and why people feel like that's justified. What Mark really drove home was you've now taken on these costs. And I thought what was really awesome about Mark's write-up that I have not seen is where he gets to the part where you're talking about sitting at a crossroads. And he says, there are two primary options, current studies benefit, or they do, sorry, they show benefit or they do not. And he basically talks about how whatever happens, whether they show benefit or they don't, we're going to be in a problem. If they show benefit, how do we get all these people to proton centers? Like, yeah. you know, it's still not that easy. We know there's disparities. We've talked about this before. Yeah. But if they don't show benefit, and that's what I'm actually worried about, is we now have all these people that have kind of put themselves out in terms of investments. And some of these are just going to have to close. And he shared about neutrons. I think I've actually treated with neutrons. I think there's a little more nuance to what he wrote that isn't in there but there's only two neutron centers in the world because they're not very useful in clinic. And so it's like, if protons are not as useful as we think they are, what's going to happen to all these centers. Right. So that, that's, that's yeah. what I really liked about his article. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's a big concern because you, because I, I go back and forth. Like if you pay the same perfection as IMRT, you'll increase access. Um, but it's not enough. Like it's, it's not like the capital cost and the labor costs are too high. Mm -hmm. So that process is only going to help very large centers that are considering it as a loss leader or something like that. But if you're a smaller center or a community hospital that happens to have a proton center, I mean, that's happening. Like I know has a proton center in Northern Virginia. Um, They're not going to be able to do the same thing. So then you're going to have disparity of costs between like a big center that's going to run it like a state utility versus, you know, a, a place out in Flint, Michigan, that's, you know, charging as high as possible because they need to pay for it. If you're going to charge as high as possible, then it should be restrictive. If you're going to charge lower per fraction, then it's, then make it less restrictive. I mean, but having the different, such a disparity all over the country, it's going to cause some chaos when, when things settle out, I think. Like yeah, I, I well, feel like there's so many moving parts. Well, and then and the things that I've been really complaining about recently is like we, we're in the situation now. And again, this is all like we I love, you know, you recommended that book, The Coddling to me. I love that book. It talks <laughs> so much about good people working in bad systems, right? Yeah. And so yeah. this is not a personal thing, but it's like you have people that are working for these centers. Um, some of these centers have investors that are like silent people that kind of are shadowy and you don't really know who they are and they don't work there physically and they want the center to be profitable. And so these people have to find a way to make that happen. And we just talked about all the costs, right? So you need to have the, the, the income on the, on the other side to balance it. And that's how you get to a place where you have centers that are posting graphics with made up data and kind of misleading patients about the benefits of protons. And yeah. My concern is like that system is running. It's there. You can't expect anyone on their own to break it. Yeah. So I'd really like to see radiation oncologists in our society sort of step up and help tamper that a little bit because otherwise it's just going to run out of hand. And and my concern with the exclusion and rocker is that it's just like motivating it even more. Right. Because yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I hope everyone reads Mark's thing. I thought it was really excellent. 
we we have our article coming out that I'm like dying waiting for it to come out. It's going to be really yeah. cool. like that too. Um, and uh, and so we'll get all that out there and hopefully people read and kind of comment on a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we were going to do a denser so, show on this like yeah. minor tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. And I don't want to say, I don't think of it as a conspiracy theory. I now like reviewing what I wrote about this it's a way to again like what astro should be doing which i feel like they didn't do for us but in this case they're doing it for maybe the larger centers is to protect them in case of catastrophe and so i like the timeline that we kind of talked about marks also brought it up basically you got the early 2000s these protons come out um they're very expensive but people seem to be using it judiciously then you know Astro annual meetings starts having these lavish proton parties and people start getting more into it. You're starting to see private centers open, small community, you know, like Hampton Roads, Virginia. That was one of the early ones that opened up um, these tiny communities, Flint, Michigan, which are pretty fragile systems. Like if something like this doesn't work, it can be disastrous for the community when it's a $50 million project. Um, So I think the early the early era of protons in America were pro- like, I would say the early era would be like 2000 to 2010 or something like that. People were using responsibly. I was sending patients for protons occasionally mm-hmm. when it was, when I felt it was the right thing to do. Um, and then I think things to me in my head, and I think probably we we're in agreement that around the ROAPM, the initial discussion of it, that's when like, I feel at the same time we were talking more about cost and protons and the initial ROAPM, I think it was like 2018 had protons in the model and it was not carved out. And it was like one update later, it was gone and nobody talked about why or what happened. Um, but it was gone and we, there was fuss. We fussed about it. People fussed about it, but it was gone. And there was no way it was coming back in that ROAPM. That's the first one, not rocker. Then around that time, like COVID happens and the economy crashes, there's a stimulus and there's inflation and like basic economics. Inflation means interest rates are going to go up. Most of these centers were uh, financed through bonds, right? These were highly, highly leveraged systems. Um, All of them, almost every single one of them. Many have already had a restructuring of their deals or gone bankrupt, you know, gone bankrupt in the sense like financially bankrupt, but not not non-operational. So all these guys are like restructuring. This is like 2021 or so. And some, you know, some alarms must've gone off. That's what I think Um, because- if you have all these notes to pay and then you have all this other stuff happening, less people coming in, the potential for cuts in general, and you take a big moneymaker like Protons, if you took it, put, kept it in the model, that's going to you know cause some financial harm. Then ROAPM died uh, completely. You know, Well, at least that version of it died. And then not soon, not not long after the proton pair policy, the draft came up. That's when everyone, we all got worked up about that one. But that put breast and protons into group two indications, which basically meant if you put a patient on registry study, you could treat and get paid for. Um, they haven't really updated that. That's where it's at. But then like very soon, right around that same time, we started seeing these ads come up from University of Maryland, from MD Anderson. Um, some were paid for by like the 
um, supportive care organizations, but some just said the label of the institution. And the, the Maryland one specifically is very, very uh, sketchy. I mean, we're talking about like 64% benefit for lung cancer, uh, 158% survival benefit for cordoma. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. It annoys me because it's not even like I would, if the misinformation was like scientifically feasible, fine. Okay. But like, it's that it's a made up metric. And then it's like, it loses the whole idea of, of, of the importance of talking about protons and cordoma. There's a, there's a good conversation to be had, but it's not a survival conversation. So it's just, it's like that that part just drives me nuts, honestly. Yeah. So if you look at the graphic and we'll put a link to it, um, Every single thing is wrong. Right. Everything. Right. I don't right. know who did it. And then like, I found another one from, from Anderson. It was very similar. It was a very similar looking. They must've heard the same graphic designer or company or whatever, a lobbyist group, a lot of wrong information, less wrong than the Maryland one, but plenty of stuff wrong. Yeah. And then you yeah. look back retrospectively, you know, like how many RCTs have showed benefit, like positive benefit, like the esophageal one, that craniospinal yeah. one. Is there any more? I, I don't know. Any. There's a negative lung one. It, right. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. I, I disagree a little bit with the way that Mark framed that lung trial. You know, he he praised them for putting out a lung trial. If you go read it, I, I actually, it's, it, to me, it's like the investigators are more saying like, we, we tried this, we learned a lot. Let's run it again now that we know a lot more, which is sort of like, okay, but, but yeah. And, and I think we should talk about this in more detail. We should, like, I, like I wrote to him, I want to have him on the show. I want to do a proton yes. show and talk about this in detail, but I think your, your point is, is well taken. And just like the quality thing, it's like, why couldn't there be more nuance there? Um, I, I actually mentioned this to someone that is, you know, a prominent radiation oncologist that works on policy outside of Astro but it's like it wouldn't have been that hard to, um, you know, ex- carve out a few indications like carve out peds. You know, I don't think anyone's going to argue with you. It, I think every radiation oncologist probably wants kids treated on protons, right? So I don't think that's the controversial point. No, I think problem, more yeah. and more we're seeing breasts and prostate, right? That's the big. So then, yeah. like soon after that, the rocker draft comes out, yeah, and excludes protons. Yeah. So the rationale, you know everybody tells me is, a, you know, I feel sometimes I get talked down to, but that's fine, but that it's a different code. And so it cannot be exclu- included in rocker. I don't believe that's the case. If there is a will to change something that could financially devastate us, there's a way like just to say like, we cannot do this. So they're always exempt. No, I, I don't actually, accept that. Yeah. It's pretty disingenuous actually. Um, I guess it's hard to go into this in detail, but I, um, it is true. If you go try to look up the Medicare pricing, the yeah. code's not in there, which is something. And we can kind of talk about that, I guess, in the future. Um, but there are, you can look at contractors and the codes are absolutely in there. They have codes, there are delivery codes, and they absolutely could be included. It's just, that's kind of a throwaway answer, in my opinion. Yeah. I think the answer is what we've said. If they did include it, there'd be a lot of centers in trouble. And I realize that it's unfair just to say, like, let it fail. Like, everyone loves to say that at, at times yeah. like this. But it's also, in my opinion, unfair to say, well, you know, we're going to go ahead and just support all of this without any comment or discussion. So I'm curious to see on Friday if people bring that up and if they say anything about it. Yeah. So then yeah. you put it together. There's a lack of interest in randomized control trials from inception. 
Yeah. There's heavy investment that was almost entirely financed through debt. Astro, you know, allows the lobby and the proton centers to engage in writing policy because we know it. We saw it on the labeling. You know, like it was it, they're involved, they're heavily involved, more so than we are, or a regular members membership. They're turning a blind eye to this misinformation. Like brought it to their intention. I actually emailed your old boss um, about it um, to get his to get Dr. Mikelski's uh, thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and then we are going to now exempt the protons from this model and to just like close the door on talking about modifying payment for it. It just seems super connected, and I don't want to like again. I'm not like conspiratorial. Like usually. There's a simpler answer for all this, but it it like goes in a pretty straight line for me. And I, I want to be convinced that I'm wrong. Like I want something. Yeah. To say yeah. That I'm and I'd be I'm happy you did reach out. Thank you for doing that. Cause I wish, honestly, the misinformation thing is the biggest thing. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember uh UW where I trained? They had that, they put a Twitter out and it had the heart drawn backwards to show <laughs> that it would like so that they could show that it's beneficial for breast cancer. And there were, you know, people kind of piled on it, but they took it down, right? And that's gone. That's not anywhere in their literature. I think that they knew that that was the wrong thing and they took it down that we more honesty, right? That's kind of what we're looking for here. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. More honesty. And I think it's possible, right? Like it's occasionally you get glimpses of, of the truth and um, of like truly open discussion. And I'm not closed. You know, I want, I want this to be, I want us to have a good payment model. I want us to have a stable future, Um, but we got to talk about it, man. Like I hope, I really hope Friday is what we want it to be, not just a get talked down to by uh, senior people, because that's what I'm worried about is certain voices from Astro just basically saying like, this is how it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, honestly, you know, what's funny. So we should end this on a positive note because yeah. I, actually I tweeted at the end or maybe yes, Sunday, I tweeted one of the days recently that I was quite in last week was very inspiring. I think, you know, Samir coming, um, you know, we were kind of talking about SDN and people make comments about it, but it's really a big deal. I think that he's on there engaging with anonymous radiation oncologists on real issues and kind of talking about it in detail. And then you had, you had common sense oncology. Yeah. I, I do get the feeling that people are kind of fed up with this, with the crap. Right. And so, yeah. and like, maybe, maybe things will change. Um, I'm like you really, all I want to see is that it's a town hall. They're calling it a town hall. To me, that means you log on and people ask questions and they answer. And if that's what it's going to be, that to me is a big departure from the way Astro has behaved in the past and at least in the recent few years. And yeah, to me, that'll be very positive. We can dissect the answers later, but just the act of having a true town hall, I think will be good. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, I feel like it'll be good. I, I yeah. want it to be good. And I want it to be a, like where we all learn something too and get a chance to improve this thing. Cause as much as like, I, I like complaining and yeah, I do complain a lot, but uh, we're 80% there on this rocker. I really think so. I mm-hmm. think like I can, I can almost get on board with it. I'm really close. We just got to get a few things right. And then this could be, this could help stabilize us. And then the commercial payers and the Medicare Advantage programs can follow suit. And mm-hmm. maybe we can get rid of our billing departments. 
you know, <laughs> be so that would be something. Yeah, that would be something, man. Talk about eliminating meetings and emails. To be... <laughs> we can't title the show that Ron will get mad. Enjoy them. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Well, thanks for catching up. I think this was fun. All, All right, right, man. This is good. Um, we'll talk soon.